rely on other people. Figure out what you're putting into your brain that's going to create the actions you're going to break and surround yourself with good counsel, with people that you trust, people who will give you good information, people who aren't looking to try to profit from you, but people who are really looking, who will build you up and support you. You need a village to make a business. I mean, it's really true. You need individuals and you have to rely on people to help you. And it's not a weakness. I, you know, people think that it's a weakness to ask for help. And what I say to them is this, the weakness is you doing it and doing it wrong when you could have asked somebody to help you. That's the weakness. The weakness in asking is not a problem. It's only when you think that you know everything. That's the weakness. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, uh, Dr. Troy Hall, and to give you a brief introduction. So, um, Dr. Troy uh, was uh, going to college, uh, quit to marry his uh, sweetheart, and then spent 13 years getting a degree after that. Um, had a friend offer him a job as a strategy officer, also went out and got an MBA with his daughter at a period of time, and then went on to uh, get a PhD. And then while he's, uh, or while he's working to get all his degrees, started a few of his endeavors that he's, he'll, he'll talk a little bit about now, and then also got into uh, being uh, doing consulting as well as being an author. So with that much of the introduction, introduction, welcome on the podcast. Well, thank you, Devin. It's good to be here. So I gave kind of a, a much uh, quicker overview to a much longer journey. So maybe take us uh, back a little bit in time to kind of when you were uh, going to uh, going to college and uh, what made you or, or stop for your sweetheart and then how you got reengaged and tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, thanks. Uh, so here's a, the story kind of works a little bit like this. I'm one of those individuals that is uh, much more interested in the journey than the destination. So as a child, I didn't know much about what I wanted to be when I grew up, except I wanted to be a superhero. Hmm. And so, so one of my ideas of how I would have superpowers is I would take these Smarties candies and I would create a power for each one of the little uh, pellets that I would eat. And so each one of those pellets then became a superpower. So hmm. for me, my journey began kind of thinking about, um, you know, just trying to figure out in life uh, one, first of all, I knew I wanted a relationship. So that's why marrying my high school sweetheart was an important aspect. I thought at one time I might go into theater. And so I dabbled at that. I've certainly done maybe community just theater. Before you get too much into your journey. So theater, was that, you know, so you went to high school. How did that go? Were you going to college at the time? Because if I remember when we chatted a bit before, you were going to college and then you dropped out to follow your sweetheart or moved or something of that nature. Is that right? <laughs> Well, the story is, is that she was always the sweetheart through the whole process, but I did start out going to college for a couple of years full time. Um, mm -hmm. And then, um, and we did that while we were married. Uh, that part didn't work out quite as well. The theater didn't work out quite as well because I soon began to realize I need money. And I was probably not going to get it through the theater. Although I think I'm a pretty good actor. I think I sound really good, but hey, I, I have a better face for radio or podcast. So the, um, so the opportunity for us to uh, decide to start our family was important. And so that's what happened. But through that process, I got this 
epiphany that I needed to go back to school. And some of it came because as I was watching individuals around me get promoted, and I wasn't. And so, and so even though you, I was- Just out of curiosity for the audience, what were you doing at that time? So you decided to go to school for a couple of years, didn't work out, theater wasn't working out, needed to make the money and earn income. So when, yeah. you, when you put that on hold, what did you go and do? Well, I was working in a financial institution at the time. And, um, you know, and again, I was, you know, it's me doing things or, or having a, a form of intellect around what we're doing was never a problem or an issue. It's just that during that time, back in the late 70s and early 80s, that really the degree was a, was a big deal. And not having the degree was a hindrance to my opportunity for advancement. So it took me 13 years complete from the time I started, the two years off, married, all of that. And I eventually uh, finished with my undergraduate degree and worked now, out great. One question before, or kind of going along, because all of that was 13 years that we jumped all over. So I'm going to force you to go back just a little bit. So you work in, you know, you do a job for a period of time. You know, was that a single job? Was it kind of going between different jobs? Or because you mentioned a little bit, hey, you know, the culture was, is I needed a degree in order to progress and whatnot. So what jobs were you doing? Was it a single path that you worked for, for 13 years or did you go a few different jobs or kind of, what was that? What uh, transpired over that period of time? Well, that's, yeah, you know, it was 13 years in the same organization. So I started, started really as a part-time teller in that position and then eventually worked up into various levels of management. I ended up working in a number of different departments in the institution. And so things were going well. I mean, I was always within a year or so getting some sort of promotion, advancement, new career opportunity. I even had an opportunity to be part of a conversion team. And at the time in the early 80s, it was a big deal of uh, savings and loans and the savings and loans um, debacle. And so those financial institutions were available for banks to buy. So mm -hmm. I was working in Pittsburgh at the time and the bank that I worked for purchased these facilities out in Philadelphia. And because I had so much background of the things that I was doing, and I, again, was working on my degree at the time, I had an opportunity to be part of the conversion team. And mm -hmm. that just totally changed my mind about, you know, how things, you know, what to do. It really gave me a much more uh, feeling about an entrepreneurial spirit, running a company, um, the kinds of things and decisions. I mean, I really got to see a macro level of how you would transform an institution from what it was to something else. And it was just a really great, tremendous experience. I was with a lot of talented people at the time um, who you know, really provided great resource. And for me, it's part of what I've collected. You know, I have always been an individual. This started at an early age. My mom told me that it was always better for me to be a Mr. Learn-it-all than a Mr. Know-it-all. And so my ability to look for information is important. It's why my mantra today is you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. And it's why in my in the book that I wrote, one of the books, Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, when I talk about the seven attributes of an effective leader, the very first one that I say is teachable. Because you see, if you're teachable, it's like it's your mind open to new things and new ideas. You're not stuck in one particular thing in one particular way. And for me, I, but I'm very loyal. So for me, working 13 years for the same organization wasn't a problem until I hit a ceiling and wasn't able to advance to the next level and needed the degree to be able to do that. And then once I had the degree, 
all of a sudden new opportunities opened up and it wasn't just at that same organization. I had opportunities at other organizations. I was able to leverage the background I had. I wouldn't trade the process. The fact that you can sometimes get a degree in four years and have no job at the end of the four-year degree, I was blessed. I had a job and managed to get the degree with the job. I had, when I was done, not only a degree, but I also had 13 years of experience that went with it. It made me extremely marketable. Hmm. No, I think that that definitely makes or makes perfect sense. Now, one question that I, I think when we talked a, a bit before the, the podcast that you mentioned was that you also, when you went back, you were you had to get a degree, you went and did an MBA with your daughter as well. Was that during this period of time or did you get an undergraduate and then come back and get an MBA or kind of how did that go into yeah. your journey? So a couple of, of uh, career uh, changes, uh, the MBA happened. So the, so the story for, for that, but how I got there was um, I ended up uh, working for uh, a larger uh, financial institution in the Columbus, Ohio area. So from Pittsburgh to Columbus, Ohio. And then um, that, that particular institution wanted to make some internal changes. I wasn't as excited about those internal changes. And then I had an opportunity to start my own business. So I partnered with a individual who ran a printing company and I did all the marketing for those clients who did print services I was able to provide an extension. So I created an entire department of graphic artists and individuals who would be able to work for those institutions. And we were doing all the printing work. So we were able to design so that we could actually print. And again, you can, when I hear the word print, you're going, oh my gosh, you must be talking about the 1990s. And the answer would be, yes, I was, <laughs> because that's when print media was really big and you know, building catalogs and brochures and all these types of things and doing four color press work and, and really understanding that. But what I had an opportunity to do is because of, again, my background, I was able to go into these companies and I sat with the senior leaders and, and key stakeholders to projects. And I was able to not only talk about the marketing, but I was able to relate it to the sales of the organization and to other, other business units that might be impacted by it. And to some degree, I had a couple of clients that actually invited me into their senior management meetings and I would actually sit in and be a part of it. I didn't speak, but I was actually there to hear and listen because I could translate those strategies later on into what they would be doing in the organization. Well, after a while, one of the clients, and because then I have clients and the, and the clients kind of uh, uh, approached me for a job. Now, I'm going to pause on that for just a moment because I want to go back. One of the things that motivated me to get that degree over 13 years is not only seeing people move on, was that I had this thought, this epiphany thing that, that showed up to me that said that maybe one day, if I didn't get this degree, what if I lost a great job opportunity because I didn't have something that was needed for it, but it was something that I could do something about. Not that I'm some victim of circumstance, but that I could actually work on getting a degree. I could have it. It wasn't keep, there was nothing keeping me from doing it. And what if that degree was a requirement to be, to get advanced? So, uh, so if anyone has done their own company and you've done that, you've talked about startups and so forth, you know that running your own company is not a walk in the park. There's a lot of work that has, that goes along with it. I was exhausted from all the travel, all the work that had to be done to do that. And um, I had just this tremendous opportunity to come in again at a senior level position 
and run a, a financial institutions division, several divisions of it. And so I uh, had this great meeting. The, the CEO is brand new to the, to the job. I'd known her from a previous opportunity and she approached me and we had all this worked out, all mapped out of the things I would do, got the salary, got the benefits, all of that. And guess what? The last question she asked me before she finally made the offer. Did I have a degree? She said her board gave her complete authority to hire anyone she wanted, did not have to go through any review process, whatever. She knew the person well enough she could offer them a job, but that person had to have a degree. Hmm. There it was. That was the whole turning point for me. I spent about nine or 10 years at that organization in C-suite. I then transferred to another financial institution in the C-suite. So I spent over 25 years as a C-suite and really have been using all of this experience from that first 13 years being on a conversion team. So for me, it's not just about acquiring knowledge and information. And I tell folks when they say, I do executive coaching and I work with them and I go, you know, you heard that knowledge is power, right? And the person says yes. And I go, but you know, that's not the whole story. That's not the rest of the sentence. And they'll say, well, what is it? And I say, it's knowledge is power when it is being used. Hmm. If you hoard knowledge and information, it doesn't make any difference. It's using it. So when you say that someone is speaking wisely or that they have wisdom, it's because they have applied the knowledge and information that they've had. So for me, it's always been about getting information, being generative in that process of always learning and figuring out how to adapt and how can I be diverse and what will I experiment with and, and how will I be a good steward of what it is that I've been given or the opportunities I have and to be able to leverage them. And so that has uh, you know, allowed me to have a 44 year career as well as a 44 year um, a marriage with my sweetheart, two kids, six grandkids in that process. And now I've created a micro business inside of a business and been working now on my consulting and my executive coaching work and have been able to do it for for individuals around the world and now one question on that a great you know, thing. you've been working with you got the you had the degree when it was a time that was needed you got the, the job you've been doing that getting you know higher or higher up level in the, in the organization now how did you get into kind of doing the consulting, speaking gigs, you know, and all of that, what was the motivation? It was just, hey, enough people were asking or you had a story you wanted to tell or kind of how did you get into that or, or what what prompted or motivated that? Okay, so talk about how I got into that, but I forgot to answer the question about the MBA. So we need to make sure we don't want people like going like, does this guy not pay attention to the questions? I just got sidetracked on a little rabbit hole. So I, I need to come back and, and rewind. So the MBA program worked like this. I had a great job. I didn't need the MBA, but mm. here's what motivated me. I was hired as the successor to the CEO. And what I knew was that in, the, in that organization, I was surrounded by CPAs, people with military degrees, people who ran very successful and large businesses. I just didn't want to be that guy who thought I knew so much. Going back to, you know, you don't have to, to know it all. Can I learn it? And I wanted to be the right candidate. I wanted to be right for the organization. I wanted to earn my spot to be the successor, not that it was handed or given to me. I was taught you work for what you want. So 
I decided to do an MBA program and it resulted in my daughter saying to me, she says, dad, wouldn't it be great if we did MBAs and walk across the stage together? Well, I'm a romantic at heart. And I thought, oh my God, that'll be great. Well, two and a half years later, I end up with my degree. She has gotten married and now is expecting a child and she never did the MBA, but that was okay. It was good for her. So I had to finish the MBA. And now you want to know about the doctoral program because that now follows suit before I even finished the MBA. I had this need and desire to do this PhD work. And I didn't know why, other than I recognized the next level of where authority was being in the way people spoke. And so the MBA was a nice fit for me to have. Hmm. But the doctoral work was also a, a chance for me to create an, an authority within the marketplace where I could really expand on, on the things that I know to do and the things that I've done in my past. And that's how I've gotten to, that's how I got to the consulting and the executive coaching. Literally, I have been a mentor, trainer, coach. I look for teachable moments. I have always been trying to help people. My goal has been to figure out how can I help improve and how can I help others be successful? What can that, what can I do? I was also taught at a very young age that you help others achieve what they want to achieve. And somehow in life, whether you call it karma, faith, whatever you call it, you are taken care of. If you don't do it for, a, if you don't do it with the intention of the only reason I do it is so I get something back. But if you freely do it because you believe it's the right thing to do and helping other people gives you great satisfaction, then do that because you will receive more blessings and more opportunities than you could ever, ever imagine on your own. So as I created my exit strategy from this uh, 26 plus years as an executive uh, in the C-suite, I had to decide, well, what do I wanna do? Like, what do I wanna do when I grow up, Devin? What is it? And I said, I what am I good at? trying to figure that out their whole life. I'm still trying yes, to figure and so, out and, and, and I, I was like, you know, the rocking chair isn't for me. Um, you know, so I knew that I would still want to do something and I wanted to figure out how could I have a meaningful life and a purposeful career. And uh, as I began to think about it and I started talking with, with folks, so I didn't know about writing the books. I knew about the PhD, but PhD is in global leadership and entrepreneurship. I've been fortunate enough to have tremendous opportunities to travel. I've been to 45 U.S. states, over 60 countries and set foot in six continents. And I said, if I'm going to have a degree that says I'm a global leader, then I better back that up with something more than just a piece of paper. And so I began to start to leverage these field engagements that I had when I would work with various organizations and institutions. And my current employer was very happy to allow me to get this because every time I would bring knowledge and information back to the organization, we could use it again. So I had these opportunities to, to travel. So in addition to my own personal travel, I was also having this corporate travel that could be a part of the program. And so as I'm thinking about my exit and I'm having conversations, I, I've recognized this as a leader from a very early age. I don't have to know everything and I'm not gonna know everything and I need help. And I'm not ashamed or afraid to ask somebody for help. So I just started asking people, what do you think? Or how would you get your voice out there? Or how would I figure out what I wanted to do? 
And, I, and, and through those conversations, I also went back and reflected on something that my dissertation chair told me. He said, Troy, first of all, the best dissertation is a done dissertation. So be, be clear about that, get it done. He mm -hmm. said, the other thing is, remember, you're not solving world peace and you're not curing a disease. He said, what you're doing is extending the literature. He said, you're creating something meaningful that wasn't there before, but it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of new stuff. And he said, whatever you do though, it's what you'll be known for. So that was always on the back of my mind. So what was it that I want to be known for? So in this degree of global leadership and entrepreneurship, my dissertation was on group dynamics with an emphasis on cohesion. So I knew I worked with groups. I worked with teams. I like working with people. That's really energized. I get a lot of energy from it. So, so I knew I would be doing that. So as I'm having these conversations about, well, what do I want to do kind of when I step away from this organization where I am today, you know, what should it be? We started having a conversation around an authority voice. And once again, I was reminded, whatever I choose to write about, whatever I choose to speak on should be the area that I want to be known for and not just speak for the sake of speaking or writing. I mean, you could write for the sake you write, you could speak for the sake of speaking, but if you wanted to do it purposefully, which again was my desire, then mm -hmm. don't be accidental about it, be purposeful. So as I thought about it, it was like, well, why don't I leverage the dissertation? I did all this research, I should be able to do something with it. And we began, um, and so when I say we, because I had a team of people, uh, I considered my, my council of people, and we were working on this project, and we started looking at what was available in the marketplace and what wasn't. And there is a ton of information on acquisition. I mean, you can buy book after book after book on talent acquisition. Sometimes you can get some that have, will give you some training information or onboarding experience. Some of them even hint at retention. But no one was really bringing retention, talent retention to the forefront. And it became my niche. So... Uh, so then we then created the book all around creating and what, what's the whole point of creating cohesion? Well, it's about groups and teams working together. What did I know from the research? I knew that when cohesion was present in an organization, it created performance. Now, and the just, performance. Uh, just, quick, just, just as a, as a, as a matter of, of time, just to kind of bring people to, uh, to the, where things are at today. So we have a chance to talk about that before we wrap up. Okay, sure. But with all that in mind, kind of maybe, Give us a, an idea of how that kind of transitioned to where you're at today and what are you doing today? So that, that, and that's, that's what happened. So the book translated to me creating a foundation of retaining top talent because I knew that cohesion created performance, performance created engagement. Organizations historically have not done a good job of treating their employees like they are their greatest asset. They talk it, but they don't do it. And I knew that there was a tremendous cost that was involved in having churn from your employees. Now, you might have some churn in some entry level, but really for your executive levels and your higher levels, you want to be able to retain those people and you need to create a culture that will allow you to retain them. And that culture has to be built on something intrinsic, not extrinsic, because your extrinsic values only happen for a short period of time. They're only for the moment in which you receive them. But something intrinsically, how you feel, how you react, your emotional connection to something lasts so much longer than, than what the um, extrinsic factor. So that's what led me to actually doing it. And the consulting work, I, listen, I've been consulting and executive coaching for years. I just never called it that. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity was leverage what I did with the book, launch the book, became a best-selling title. 
provided information. I wanted the book to also include everything that people needed. I didn't want to write two or three versions and trick people into buying one, then buy another and buy another, because it's really not about buying the books. It's about mm -hmm. taking the information and applying it so you have wisdom. And if I wanted to help people, then I needed to write a book that helped people, not tease them. So now just diving in. So that kind of brings us a, a bit to where we're at today and loved our fun journey to hear. And as we are unfortunately running towards the end of the podcast, and I always have two questions that I love to ask and, and are always insightful. So we'll probably jump to those now. So with the first question I'll ask is now that we've kind of brought your journey up to where you're at today and you've talked a little bit about that along that journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Okay. Can you repeat the question for me one more time? Sure. What was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Um, well, the worst business decision that I made was one, again, if you want a very specific, but I'll give you a conceptual idea. And it is, um, it's not trusting. I didn't trust people to do their job. And I felt I had to do it for them. Hmm. And as a result, I created a lot of, a lot of friction that didn't need to be created. That if I had done my job in making sure that I checked with the person, they had all the resources that they have, then they could have done the job that they wanted to do. But I, I tried to do it myself because I didn't feel like they were going to do it up to my par or my standard. And instead, if I had been a better communicator in what I was doing, if I had trusted of them in what they were doing, I wouldn't have made that mistake. And so, uh, so today, I, I know how to safeguard against that. Hmm. No, and I think that you know that one's a, a a good one to to learn from, and I think it's an easy mistake to 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 make because a lot of things, a lot of times, I think the thing that pushes people towards being an entrepreneur, being a you know self starter, in that is that kind of type A personality where hey, I can do it better than everybody else, I'm smarter than everybody else, and I can you know and I, I know what I'm doing, and some of that may be true, and a lot of times it's not, but regardless, that's kind of the mentality that you almost have to have in order to to push yourself forward. But then as you get into it, in order to um, you know, allow other people to grow, to expand, to be or to be, or develop their own talent. You have to or take that step back. So I, I definitely think that that's a good lesson learned, also an easy mistake to make. Second question I always ask is, um, if you're talking to somebody now that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, the best piece of advice I would give them is rely on other people. Figure out what you're putting into your brain that's going to create the actions you're going to break and surround yourself with good counsel, with people that you trust, people who will give you good information, people who aren't looking to try to profit from you, but people who are really looking, who will build you up and support you. You need a village to make a business. I mean, it's really true. You need individuals and you have to rely on people to help you. And it's not a weakness. I, you know, people think that it's a weakness to ask for help. And what I say to them is this, the weakness is you doing it and doing it wrong when you could have asked somebody to help you. That's the weakness. The weakness in asking is not a problem. It's only when you think that you know everything, that's the weakness. No, and I think that that, you know, it, it does, I think that I get that in the sense that people oftentimes will say, you know, I need to be able to do it. I need to do it myself. I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to ask, you know, friends or family or employees or appointments or anything else because I want, I want to show that I can do it. And yet those are oftentimes your best resource and the ones that have the most depth of knowledge, the ones that are the most likely to help you and to pitch in and everything else. And so I definitely think asking or having that mentality, well, no, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to get all the, re or take advantage of all the resources I can are the ones that are going to be successful. So I think that's a, a great piece of advice. 
Well, as we as we wrap up, so you've got books, you've got you know coaching, you've got training, you've got other things. If people want to reach out, they want to be a um, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to get more information, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, contact or contact you, or find out more? Well, I direct them to the website. It's drtroyhall.com. And there you'll see the books, you'll see the resources, you'll see the services, and there's a connect form that'll, that brings it right to me. And once you fill that out and give me an idea of what you want to talk about, then we'll connect and we'll make it real. And I'll then share even personal phone number information. I mean, whatever we need to do there, but it's so much easier just to work it through, through that process. And if you want to connect with me on social media, it's at DR Troy Hall. So good. It's only 10 letters. Oh, plus the dot com. There you go. That's a, that's a great way to reach out. Definitely encourage people to uh, check it out, find out more, and uh, and, uh, and utilize the wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you again, Dr. Troy, for coming on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, uh, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and uh, apply to be on the show. Do more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe to your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us at uh, Miller IP Law by going to strategymeeting.com. Thanks again, Dr. Troy, for the coming on and uh, wishing the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Great. Thank you so much.